Welcome to Max Storm Business Coaching for the Health and Fitness Professional Podcast, where you will hear and learn tips, tricks, and marketing secrets that will allow you to build your business from ordinary to extraordinary. Visit us at maxstormcoaching.com. Now, here's your host. Welcome to MaxStormCoaching.com. This is Ashley Mazurk, the co-host, and today I have the infamous Dan Hellman, a uh, true, uh, what can I say, you're like my soul spirit brother in this lifetime. Uh, we have a uh, connection. We've been friends for many, many years, and I, I brought Dan onto this podcast because Dan is, in my mind, um, an icon in this industry, and he has essentially rebirthed himself and is extremely successful today. And there are a lot of questions that I want to ask him about his rebirthing process and just kind of touch base with Dan. For those of you who don't know who Dan Hellman is, let me introduce him. Um, he is located in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, just on the East Coast, as I am on the West Coast. And Dan, give a little bit of background as to where you came from and kind of where you are today. Wow, I came from where I came from. My mother. Uh, yeah, I grew up in. I was born and raised in North Dakota, and uh, I can hear that in you. Yeah, exactly. Dakota. And uh, Dakota, yes. And you know, I as any young man growing up, boy growing up, I had a huge love for sports, and you know, I, I was all over that and training and. You know, when I started getting close to the end of my high school, wanting to, you know, go to college, uh, I chose to be an athletic trainer. And so I went to the University of North Dakota and got my athletic training degree. But then I realized that athletes were just not, you know, what I wanted to work with all my life. They, they have their own challenges, just like we all do. And so then I went off to physical therapy school. And uh, fortunately, I went to a physical therapy school in Des Moines, Iowa, which is osteopath-based. So according to the other kids, we were doing voodoo, you know. Our stuff was a little bit more unique, and it was out there, and working with the fascia and stuff like that. And in hindsight, I originally thought that that was going to be a really bad deal for me because my state school was known as a really good school. And now when I look back on it, it really was an opening to many things to come in the future and to open my mind that there's more to physical therapy than just hot pack ultrasound massage and some dead bug, you know, exercises. And so, you know, once I did that, then uh, I started a practice in Fort Lauderdale. I started as a traveling physical therapist for a while, and then I moved to Fort Lauderdale, started a practice. And then uh, I met you. I mean, I think we were together on a Czech class. And uh, you and I had this immediate connection. I'll never forget the day. I think I looked at you, you looked at me, and I just thought, okay, we have some connection in a previous life. And this was even before I believed in previous lives. (laughs) And, and, you know, from there it kind of spiraled. And I think like you – after I was, you know, learning under the tutelage of Paul Czech, I became very much enwrapped in the Czech Institute, and it was my goal to become a faculty member. What was what was your interest in? Because you going into Czech, you had a lot of education. So, yeah. what was the impetus that the inner drive that brought you to continue more education? Did you did you not feel satisfied, fulfilled? 
I didn't. And I, I, I still, that is starting to slow. I'm 48 now, going to be 49 in March. That impetus is starting to slow down a little bit for me, but I have always been driven. I was always told I'm like a weed. I just don't, you can't kill me. I just keep, I just keep coming back. And when I put my mind to something, I just hyper-focus on it. And I just had this impetus to learn. And, you know, when, when, what really kind of probably was the stimulus for me uh, learning about Paul is growing up, I was very much dogmatically programmed into the Abrahamic religion, into Christianity. You know, my mom made me go to church every Sunday and I had to go to communion and, and, you know, confession. And every time I would be sitting in that preacher bench and listen to the preacher, you know, give a sermon, I always could not reconcile his words with what I felt in my heart. Mm. And then meeting Paul, he, he lifted that veil for me. And I think that's what really kind of threw me into just, just pouring myself in the Czech Institute and wanting to become one of his faculty members. And I'm, I'm really proud that that's part of my past. I mean, it's not just, it's, it's still part of my present as well, because I'll, I'll always be a true Czechy at the core. I just don't teach for the Czech Institute anymore, but that doesn't mean that I don't absolutely honor and appreciate everything that I have, you know, gleaned from that experience in my life. Do you think, because I obviously grew up in the religious um, realm, and do you think, because there are many people that also were very much, are very much religious. And I have family members that are and grew up in it, are still in it today. And like you, sitting at the pew and being told that you're going to go to hell and you better come up and, you know, talk about your sins and release your sins and ask for forgiveness. Do you feel like because my heart also was like, this doesn't seem right. I don't feel like I'm a bad person. And do you think that was sort of the spark that led us into becoming very spiritual? Because um, I feel like uh, part of your need and want from the aspect of check is, was a spiritual need. Um, And also the need to be loved and accepted, which I feel like spirituality does. I'm not saying that religion doesn't, but I feel like religion isn't as much. I, I agree with you hundred percent. I, um, I felt the need to be accepted, uh, and just to be part of a, a tribe, I think. And because even though I did go to church every Sunday, I did do all the things I still felt completely isolated and empty inside because I could, um, I could wear the mask and be the great Catholic and, and claim to be a Catholic and wear the cross, you know, have the ashes on my forehead, but deep down it never self, it never fulfilled me. It it never uh, gave me that, that sense of belonging. I always felt like I was an outsider. So I, I, 100%. 100%. I agree with you, what you say, 100%. So what would you say if religion created that for us and gave us that sort of void or emptiness or I, I always use the word judgment because I always felt like 
on Sunday mornings, we got up, we got up to put only our besties on. It was our best dress, our best pantyhose, our best pair of shoes. And it was like this big facade. And I, the, the word that comes to mind is judgment. And I, I, would you, what do you think that spirituality gave to you that religion doesn't? The, the, the ability to know that we are judging and to be able to look at it and to see it and move on from there. But I think it's the, the blind judging where you are better than that other person because you have this belief and this person doesn't have the same belief you are. That kind of, in the spirituality approach and the Zen and Buddhism, that kind of all melts away because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we are all pieces of each other, right? And we all have a shadow side and we all have a light side. Mm-hmm. And knowing that, again, uh, the true definition of an adult, like Paul always would say, is, is, is taking responsibility for what you create moment to moment. And that really, that really helped me um, push me through those years and help me want to continue to, to quote unquote, better myself. Now, whether I'm bettering myself or not, I don't know. I don't know. Nobody, we, nobody sees the big picture. We're just all a little pixel on a big screen. We don't know what's going on, right? But it's what worked for me. If I could look myself in the mirror and I could, I could be very happy with what I saw. And to me, that was the big change. Before I would look in the mirror and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? <laughs> Why am I doing this every Sunday? Why am I going and beating myself up and then feeling like I want to literally become a somewhat suicidal because I don't fit in with this group? It just never made sense to me. So I think that was a big factor, actually, the spirituality part. Definitely, definitely helped, helped me through those years. And, you know, I, I would say that if I, if I go back in my years, I started my spiritual path before I got into check. But what I feel like holistic approach offers or spirituality per se offers is not that you become a non-judgmental person. But that you are able to witness yourself becoming judgmental and wrapping love and compassion around the fact that you're (laughs) truthful with yourself about being that and that at the root of everything, my, my biggest lesson from learning spirituality from whether it was the Czech Institute, whether it was from Paul, whether it was from... Pema Chodron, whether it was from Deepak, whether it was from all the many teachers, was that it's all about love. And, and, and that's what it should be about, is at the center of everything, it's love. And I think what the journey in anyone's life and spirituality, I feel like, and I feel like I deal with, with clients as well, is taking that religion and trying to minimize it to the point where they understand the true meaning of love and trying to learn to love themselves rather than look at the aspect of separation and judgment and that there's a God in the sky that's looking down upon them at all their sins and all their shouldas, couldas, wouldas type of words that create that separation and judgment in people that tend to then not love themselves because they're always focused on that dogmatic, those dogmatic words. And um, I think think you, what you stated there wraps that in a nutshell is that I did not love myself. And that was the first big hurdle to get over. 
the main hurdle, right? Why do you you think you didn't love yourself though? Because according to the preacher, I was going to hell. You know, if you're this, you're that, you're going to hell. If you're that, you know, so of course you you teach yourself not to love yourself if you're the one that's going to burn in hell, right? I mean, you know, and when you're, when you're, I was forced at a very young age to go to, to go to Catholic service. And I really firmly believe, and it's something that I struggle with to this day, I really firmly believe it literally becomes a part of your DNA. I mean, it's a replicating idea, right? It's like a meme. And that replicating idea just consumes you. And, you know, who knows at the age of six or seven why I was sitting there and all of a sudden demonizing myself. I, I I couldn't tell you, but I really think... You you summed it up beautifully when you said self love issue, and I think if you're right, if more people love themselves, they don't spend the time judging others. And so, I agree with you that these these mimetic ideas, and it comes down to a belief system. But at the same time, do you honestly? Because I as we're about the same age, and. I still find myself getting very frustrated with myself because I don't know why a belief system at such a young age still resides in me as much work as I do on myself <laughs> to love myself, to not, to try to not be judgmental and to open my heart and to be that yes person with boundaries and values and all that but it isn't it amazing how powerful at such a young age you can be programmed and it still can reside in your life 20, 30, 40 years down the road. Absolutely. I, I, I just, I, I, again, I really think it becomes a part of your DNA molecule. I really do. Uh, it's one of the hardest things to, to change, if not the hardest thing to change. And so and they say that to the degree that you're programmed, you can be reprogrammed and so do you feel like you're reprogrammed and 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 do you ever in a point in your life feel like those religious dogmatic ideas come in sure i think i'm i want to say i'm deprogrammed i think i'm probably just more aware like you said it's an awareness I'm aware of when I start going down that rabbit hole and at least I'm able to make a decision and and decide whether I want to continue going down there or quote unquote, pull the weed. So I think, I think it's not that I'm deprogrammed. I think it's something that we will deal with until the day we leave this earth. Uh, But I think it's an awareness that, that you are doing that to yourself. Mm. And so do you, as you were going through that transition and Uh, A lot of students talk about this. It's a transformational process when you enter into this holistic way and the spirituality way of living. Did you feel like your environment and your friends played a part in that? And did you also kind of get to the point where you had to be very lonely to then rebirth yourself and become a new person that incorporated new friends that shared your same ideals? And did that actually happen? Well, I think that's another draw to, you know, going through the Czech program as fast as I did. I mean, I did all of the courses in a very short time because I craved to be around like-minded individuals. And I found myself distancing myself from my friends and my family um, because 
because they didn't align with my new values that I was seeking for my life. Uh, I think sometimes the, the awareness process, like you said, is very lonely. Mm. It can be very lonely. Yeah. I guess that's another reason why I wanted to, you know, it was great for you to connect with you today because we don't get to connect very often. And it's always, you know, it's always a very uh, loving conversation that you and I have. And I, I look forward to it. And, you know, for, for me, it, even though there's nobody in my closest environment that I can like have lunch or coffee or tea or with, it is always very important that every now and then, and it's all, it's always synchronicity with, with us. Like I'll be thinking about you and you'll call me or all the time. All the time. And I'm, I do think that it is so important that you have people in your life that are like that, whether they're 3,000 miles away or whether they're 1,000 mile, miles away. I think it's really important that in order for us to get through the darkest times, like, um, you know, we talk about Thomas More's book and he talks about the dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, I remember going through that. And um, I don't think that I would have been able to survive if I didn't have like people like you in my life to either, even if I didn't get to talk to you or be with you, I could, I could always just think about our conversations or think about things that you had said in the past to create encouragement and open my heart to the possibility of it's okay, you know, to also to wrap compassion around whatever situation it is and to provide love for myself in order to get through it. And we all go through these times of uh, dark night of the soul. And what would you say in your life, at what point in your life would you say that you experienced the dark night of the soul? Uh, when I was in physical therapy school. Uh, really? Yeah, I was, um, I was alone in Des Moines, Iowa, you know, the big pseudo city. You know, I come from a small town in North Dakota and, and I was Sunday going to church every day. I, I, every Sunday and I, I didn't like school. Um, I didn't, I felt like I didn't fit in. Um, and I really, really was at a low point in my life that I don't, didn't know if I really wanted to continue and um, I started reaching out to people, and I found people that that I could talk to, and, and that really helped. But I would say it was back in 1997, somewhere around there, 1996. Super young. Yeah. Do you have a um, a coach I today? Always, that- I was always like an old soul. I mean, I've always, even my mom said, even my mom jokingly would say, Dan, you were born old. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, you know, I've always, I've always had a more of a, a mature way of thinking, even as a small child. So I was always in my head. But still a very young, attractive looking male, though with an inner wisdom <laughs> insult. Because my, my friend, you do not look your age at all. I'm always astounded every time I see you. I'm like, he looks like five years younger. How's that even possible? <laughs> you don't look older. You look younger. Uh-huh. Um so you you have a facility. You've had a beautiful facility for quite a quite a long time, and we've talked about business in the past. And one of the one of the aspects to this podcast is I love to for those that are <laughs> remember in the day when we were really young and we were ambitious, and it was all about like having your own facility, making money, having trainers. Like, oh, 
God. Well, there are still there are some out there that are like that. I I, I I'm over and beyond that, but I still um, have respect for those that are like that. And there would be my dog. <laughs> I told you that would happen. Yes. So you you what surprises me is you still do have your facility. So what motivates you to to keep a facility? Right. So after I decided I didn't want to practice in clinics and hospitals and I wanted to go off on my own, you know, at that point, the, you know, financially, I couldn't really afford to have a facility. And so I, I would just go to the local gyms and I would put my business card out because it had PT after my name. You know, the clients were like, wow, you know, this guy's not just, he's not a personal trainer, he's a physical therapist. So I became very successful in a very short time with the, with the physical therapy aspect of things, the personal training. And um, so, but once I started going down the realm of learning from Paul Check and becoming more aware of not just the physical slab of meat, but also the emotional, mental, and spiritual side of us, Talking about emotions and uh, things of that nature, spirituality, um, things going on in your mind, that wasn't very conducive to listening to thumping disco music in the background, and you're trying to have a meaningful, empathetic, and compassionate relationship with your client. Um, So I knew then and there that if I was going to continue to go down this particular path, that I was going to have to have my own private facility where if my client needed to cry or get angry or whatever they needed to do, that I could give them a safe place to do that. And so that's what really took me in the direction of seeking out a facility that I could manage myself and see clients on a one-on-one basis and not you know, not put me in such financial straits that I couldn't afford to keep it up. And so I bought my place in 2004. And, and a kind of funny story. So going back to my physical therapy school, there was, there's always, I think there's always mentors in our life. And I remember my first real mentor was Stephen Clark. And he was on staff uh, at the osteo, at the uh, physical therapy school in Des Moines. And his specialty was myofascial therapy. Now, he had people, this was in Des Moines, Iowa. He had people driving in from all around the tri-state area. I mean, people would travel great distances to see this man. And he would say to me, because I really looked up to this guy, he would say to me, Dan, I don't know what I'm doing. All I know is that my clients on the table, sometimes they cry, they get mad, they have releases. I let them, I let them express themselves. I'm doing my therapy, my hands-on therapy, and they get better. I don't know why, they just do. And I had always kind of, ever since he taught me that, how the medical thinking went to the way of um, research-based outcomes, I never really understood that because the human body is so complex. Mm. How you can do a study on a human being Mm. Is beyond me because every time that person walks into the study, are you factoring in? Oh, what did they have for breakfast that day? Did they have a fight with their loved one? Did they get a bill that they did think they were going to get? Did they have road rage on I ninety five? I mean, you can go on and on. So for me, studying the human, the physical human being, I thought was a waste of time. 
And so early on, I, I learned from Stephen Clark that it's really, it's really that interaction between the two people that is where the healing begins. And I really firmly believe that. And even before I met Paul, that was kind of instilled in my brain. And so that's why when I really started going down that road, I needed a quiet place. And that's how I ended up buying my facility. What, do you, what would you, because I see this a lot with personal trainers, and I hear this a lot from students, and I don't know that I have an answer, so I'm, that's why I would ask you. What got you to the point to allow you to be ready to start getting emotional and listening? And what did you do for yourself, and what did you do for them that allowed that, emu- that emotion to unleash and allow for healing? Mm. Well, I think it started more when, when I was able to, you know, try to heal myself. Uh, you know, when I, when I started accepting myself and, you know, having self-love for myself, then that I was able to open the conduit and allow my clients to express what they were feeling and what they needed to express verbally or emotionally. Um, and I don't think without that first step, I don't think that's possible. I think you're, I, I think you're selling a, a, a smokescreen uh, more than anything. It's, it's got to start with yourself first. And so, so you're saying the journey to get to the point where you can mentally, emotionally start coaching someone, you have to first take those steps to work inside and work through yourself in your own wounds and deal with them before you can then deal with another? Absolutely. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think it's possible to do it any other way. Do you, where, did you ever feel, did you ever have a client where you um, felt kind of uh-huh. with their amount of emotional? Uh-huh. Oh, really? Uh-huh. What did you, what'd you do? Uh, in times I would just continue to plod through times I have not worked with the client. Uh, I, you know, I quote unquote fired them. Um, if I found, and, and then I learned a little different technique later on by one of our colleagues, Emma, Emma Lane from uh, the UK, um, was to put a protective, to visualize a protective shield around my own energy being, um, because if I didn't, because I'm at, by nature, I'm a giver. Uh, I, I, I just feel like when I do something, I pour a hundred percent of myself into it that I had to be really careful because I was giving all of myself away. So yeah, there's times when, you know, we, we kind of joke and we say that they're energy vampires, but they really are energy vampires. Because heart math, heart math tells us, right, that we off-gas energy the stronger to the weaker. And if we're not careful, we can get ourselves into trouble. Yeah. And so you had your facility. You started going through check. You started teaching. Yes. And you got extremely successful. You had a ton, a ton of students uh, that still today in my classes talk about you. And what made you to what made you decide to end such a successful career doing that? More so, probably again, uh, learning to be true to myself. Um, 
I have the greatest of respect for Paul and the Czech Institute. Um, I started I started dabbling with some of uh, the work by Dr. Givoye, the French osteopath, and. I don't know if it was because that was my training in osteopathy in the beginning and physical therapy that just, you know, it was like I rewound the clock and I was back to being in physical therapy school and learning techniques that really, really got results like instantaneously. And so I started I started kind of changing my, my personal focus of my practice. And I don't know if that's because I just didn't have the energy anymore to deal with the emotional, mental, spiritual aspect of the person. Um, even though I still do, I still, if they, if I'm working on them and they still have a an emotional release, I welcome it. I don't, I don't pull back, but I think my gears, just kind of shifted and and I didn't quite align with the check the philosophy of the, on the physical body I still very much very much appreciate and honor and and try to live by the the six foundation principles and in and you know the emotional mental spiritual being but in my practice I found that if I dealt on the physical side of things, and I was extremely good on the physical side of things. The more I did that, the bigger my business grew. And the more, I said you use the word successful, the more success I had. Because I could own that. I, I, was, I, I was always very good working with my hands on people. I was better at that than sitting down and counseling somebody on why they don't heal or digging into maybe past issues. So for me, it just felt like a little bit easier of an alignment. And so I started going down that route. And because I do have a great degree of regard for Paul, I didn't think it was fair to be teaching for him and to be have my mind elsewhere, even though when I taught, as you know, I was there, but just the, the philosophies didn't align. And so it was a mutual understanding that we would part ways and, and, and we did. And ever since then, uh, business hasn't been better. I, it's just been amazing. And I think sometimes when we get stuck in an idea that we need to keep something going because financially it's a big part of my a big part of my money coming in jp sears wisely once told me on a skype call maybe it's holding you back i thought wow and then i looked at his career lately and i'm like wow this guy's rock star status right um and so i thought okay i'm gonna make the jump and that's what happened and i split ways and now I'm one of Dr. Boy's seven schools that he's got in the world, and one of them's here in Fort Lauderdale. So I, I'm doing a whole different education paradigm now. Did you did you have fear that you wouldn't make enough money to succeed in your new career that you wanted to start? Oh sure, I, uh, you know the Czech Institute was probably, if I guessed, forty to fifty percent of my annual salary. I was teaching a lot, um, a lot. And um, 
So sure. I mean, if you all of a sudden said that you were going to make half the amount of money that you normally make, of course, there's an instant angst that, you know, you're not going to make it. And that's normal. That's normal. But again, when JP looked at me, looked me in the eyes and he said, maybe it's holding you back. Maybe there's even more out there. And so how long before the end did you, were you able to recoup that 40 to 50% by taking the, the leap off the ledge? Well, it's, 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 it's an amazing question. Um, soon after that, I, I fell into, I didn't fall into, I don't believe I fell into anything. I worked very hard for it. I fell into a gig with a professional athlete that, that paid me very well uh, for three years. But also, too, at the same time, I started running the continued education courses for Dr. Boy. So, you know, that also helps me generate money. And then the more I was around the Voyer principles and got to be very uh, intimate with their community, the more referrals, the more referrals started bouncing back and forth amongst us. And so the people just would all, they would all just start coming, you know, calling, I need an appointment, I need an appointment, I need to do this, can do that. So it, it didn't take very long, but you and I had this conversation once before. I, I started meditating. You know, we always say, you want to make God laugh, tell him you got a plan. Uh, and be careful what you wish for. I started meditating on this back in 2003 or four. And all of a sudden, wham, it's right there. And I actually had forgotten all of my, you know, I did long and short-term journaling goals. I meditated. I'd go to the beach and meditate on the success and what I was doing in the professional golf world and, and things like that. And then next thing you know, I'm getting this phone call, and I had to stop myself and go, wow, there really is no such thing as time. Mm. And time is an illusion. This is all happening at once. So it was really fascinating how it just all kind of aligned itself for me. And, uh, but again, I worked hard. I focused on it. And I would say my, business, business success, my biggest success has been in the golf world. Uh, I'm a huge golf nut. I love the game myself. And I just remember Paul teaching one time about, about focusing your energy in one to two, maybe three areas of focus and going for it. And I put all of my focus into golf. You know, everything I did was golf oriented. So it eventually paid off. Eventually paid off. And I got uh, last year. I was nominated as one of the top uh, fifty golf fitness professionals in the in the world. That's by, fantastic. By golf Digest. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah, it, it paid off. It paid off. But I, I, you know, you got to work for it. You 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 can't you can't just pray and not and sit still. You have to pray and move your feet, right? Yeah, I, I'm so glad you said that and reiterated because you're not just saying. And I could see how it could be perceived that way, but you did put a lot of effort, time, and energy oh. into creating what you wanted in your life. What does, versus getting out of PT school, venturing into owning your facility, getting involved to check, what does spirituality mean to, to, mean to you today versus it, what it meant to you then? 
<laughs> Today's spirituality means to me, I live across the street from the beach. Um, I just, my favorite thing to do at the end of the day around 5, 5, 30, 6 o'clock, I walk over the beach, I sit my chair down, I stare at the water, and it's just, it's kind of my own quiet time. It's just that moment where you can just unplug from everything and just be present with yourself and with what's going on around you. Or another thing spiritual for me would be playing with my dog, uh, getting down on the floor and just being present with my dog. But more so, it's just the spiritual for me is just reflecting on, on me and my own time and my own space and just knowing that everything is perfect. I can't change the way I can't change it. And, you know, even out of the, the rough stuff that's going around me, it's, it's still okay. And, you know, to, like you said earlier, to be able to give yourself a little bit of self-love even in the, in the, in the hard times. Do you ever worry about uh, money anymore? Because I know you live on your own and support yourself. Yeah. Do I ever worry about money anymore? Um, yes and no. I've, I've always, because I have been through several different transitions now with, yeah. you know, being a staff physical therapist to going and being an, a trainer to then teaching for the Czech Institute and now doing this with Givoye and, and, I have always had the ability to make money and I finally told that to myself. I said, no matter what happens, I can still survive because I've, as you know, I, I skilled myself. I mean, I, I, I went out of my way to, to, you know, to learn. I, I sought out the, the best people that I thought were out there and, and I, I wanted to know everything that they knew. So I, I worked for it. And I think no matter what happens, I can, I can make money, you know, living out of a cardboard box if I have to. I feel like what you're saying, and, and this is kind of where I've reached in my own life, that I've built up so much education in my life where I have so much confidence in my abilities to help people that I know will ultimately be prosperous and abundant. Mm-hmm. Like there's no doubt in my mind. And, 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 I, and what I say to that is that's why I feel like education is so important because I come from a history of not being very confident or having much self-esteem at all in myself. And what I can say is I can say today that I don't worry about money because I know there's always going to be a client that needs my help and I can help and I can get them better. Um, so, and, and I don't have the intellectual need like I used to, like, like in the past, it was always like, I had 10 books sitting next to my bed that I needed to read to make sure I was educated enough to make sure I knew what to do with this next client, to know what to do with the future client that came in. And now it's, I don't, want to fill my head with education. It's really more about a spiritual practice that allows me to tap into the higher realms that gives me the confidence that I already know what to do with this person. I will know what to do with this person. Um, at the end of the day, you can't go 20, 28 years and educating yourself and be in a place where you don't think you don't know anything. (laughs) Right? No, that would not be good. (laughs) I mean, in your opinion, 
with clients as a whole, what would you say with all your clients, what would you say is the root of all their issues? If there were one or two things, because I see this in my own practice, I'm like, shit, it's always the same thing. It's like, this is so, it's so easy. Like, how could I ever think it would be, I would ever like doubt myself and not know enough because it really is, it's really easy. It's complex, but it's not complex. The root of most of their problems, I think it probably comes back to the self-love issue. Right? <laughs> there we go back to the self-love issue again. I can, I can hear my clients now cussing themselves out. You know, you're stupid. You know, come on, old man. I mean, you know, just, just not treating their own vessel with the respect that it should have. I really think that's probably the root of most of the problems. So I, I, could, I couldn't agree more. Where do you think, where do you think this industry is going? And when I say industry, I don't even know if I mean fitness industry. Do I mean holistic health industry? Wow. I, I really, that, that's, the, that's the crazy thing is I know of some amazing trainers, you know, with – high school educations that didn't go to physical therapy school, didn't go to osteopathy school, didn't go to chiropractic, but have just poured themselves into their profession. And these people, I would much rather send somebody to somebody like that than someone that's gone through traditional schooling. And and they think that they know everything because they graduated from the the school in St. Louis, which is the number one physical therapy. I mean, so I think the profession has kind of umbrella open and there's so many avenues that the person in the health and fitness industry can go. Uh, you know, this, the, people are doing functional diagnostic nutrition. People are working with the holistic lifestyle coaching side of things. People, I know people that are doing manual therapy. They go and they get their massage license so that they have the license to touch. And then they take osteopathic courses or physical therapy. And I just think it's, it's kind of all meshing together. And the, the person that I think that's practicing like that in today's medical community is the really powerful guy because let's face it, you and I spend, you and I spend the most amount of time with our clients. You know, the average physician visits, what, six minutes, seven minutes, if you're lucky, actual chiropractic visits, maybe 10 minutes. Um, and so we spend so much time with our clients that I think that as trainers or people in the fitness profession, we really need to know a lot about everything to a degree. And then we be kind of, kind of become the gatekeepers. Uh, we are the ones, one of the things that I do the most of is referrals. Oh, you have this issue. Oh, you need to see this person. Oh, you have that issue. Oh, I have the greatest person for the SI joint, you know, here. So we kind of become a little bit of a gatekeeper and I don't, I'm fairly good at what I do, but I always tell my clients, I do not know everything that's going on with you. I, I can't even begin to, to, to claim that. But I tell you what, with my effort, with my background, with the people that I have in my corner, I can get you to where you want to go. And that's, that's the, the goal that I set forth for myself. 
you know, they come, I had somebody come to me the other day with a really complex problem. And I said, um, I said, listen, this is really complex. I go, I'm not a hundred percent sure the Avenue I'm going with you. I also have some people in my back pocket. And he goes, well, why can't you help me? And I said, I didn't say I can't help you. I just said, you need to know that there are a lot of different people out there that are extremely good in different aspects of what's going on in the human body. And so that's kind of the approach that I take is I'm, I'm not, I'm not the know-it-all beetle. I'm, I'm in, I'm there to learn. Every, every client is a, is a different teaching case for me. 1000%. Right? 1000%. <laughs> a lot of the things that you've said today are, which I'm always, I'm always grateful for that in past podcasts where I've done my own little pieces and parts of being better. And this is my ideal situation of a great personal trainer or great anybody that works with clients and listed the 10. And I love how you've mentioned virtually most of them. Um, it, it makes me feel good. It's validation. Um, so I, I appreciate you mentioning those super important aspects of what I feel uh, it's important for people who want to be successful in this industry. They do. And that referral network system and that humble attitude of being comfortable and not fearful of losing money by sending it to somebody else. So very important. And if you prospered with the the reciprocity in that situation. Absolutely. Uh, I I do it all the time. I'm the first one to refer somebody. And I just think if you have your client's best interest at heart, uh, you, you do what's best for them. And if that's, to get them in somebody else's capable hands. And that's what you do. And to me, if you're doing the right thing, it, it, it loves a boomerang, right? It comes back at you. Yeah. I, I, I would not doubt that at all. Uh, 100%. So what's your, what does Dan want down the road? Like what, what are, what are your goals now? Have you achieved everything you want to achieve? What do you, what are you striving for at this point? Because you, I mean, you're very, very successful. You're very good at what you do. Um, what's the future for you? I don't know. Um, I, you know, in the last two and a half years I have, and, and for what I love and crave to do, I was at the pinnacle. Um, now it's, it's kind of weird. It's, I can't go any higher than what I was doing. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It, it, it feels kind of strange to be honest with you. Uh, if, if I'm honest with myself, I have a lot of commitment coming up with the Soma training program with, with Giboye. I have a class in January. I have over 55 students enrolled already. And that's always a big, that's always a big, uh, time constraint on my part and you know I'm, I'm very much an organization freak as you know and so making sure everything is aligned and perfect for the students is, is very important because you know we've been living that realm of being educators for a long time and so I really like that educational aspect still I, I have the if I want I can teach uh, for Dr. Boye at any time who said I can teach. 
but really what I'm trying to do now is because I have been going so full throttle for a while is I'm, I'm trying to slow down a little bit. I'm trying to, I'm trying to reel it in. I'm trying to understand that making money is not everything. And to basically take a moment and smell the roses. Isn't it interesting because I, I, again, we tend to always align and isn't it, isn't it strange where you get to a point in your life where you're comfortable and you're satisfied and there, there isn't this long goal list. There isn't this three month, six month, one year. I mean, I have journals and journals of all of these goal lists and you're fine. Like I'm finally at a point where I'm like, I'm every new year's. I always have a journal book and I go and, and I'm like, I sit there for like 15 minutes and go, I'm really happy. Like, what do I want? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I want to be happy. And satisfaction and being happy and satisfied is foreign, I guess. And it's, it I can that. Remember back to our infant development lectures and our talks, the human being is the only creature on the face of this earth that wants to achieve something all the time. And that is its purpose, is it's to be purpose. better. And I, I told this to one of my colleagues the other day. He was saying, oh, you need to do this and you need to do that. And I finally said, listen, with all due respect, I don't need to do anything. I have been a human doer most of my life. I really now want to be a human being. You know, it, it you almost... Got, you got, I'm sorry. I'm so, I go, listen, I go, just, I know what I'm doing. I'm 48 years old. I know what my body needs. I know what my heart wants. And I don't want to take another course right now. Right? It almost gives me anxiety when I'm with an individual that first tells me what I need to do. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't usually respond well to that No, uh, because I am the captain of my own ship. Yes. And secondly, when there is a, a list of to do's that I need to do. And I've, I, I think it's, I think it's really important to get to a place in your life where you just don't have to do anything. Yeah. And what's wrong with that? Nothing. But that's not what society says, and that's not what our DNA is telling us. And this is frustrating. But I'm, like I said, we talked about this. It's the self-actualization. I'm old enough now. I'm comfortable in my own skin. I know what my body is craving and what I what I want, and in that regard, and and it's telling me to to smell the roses. So it's always in coaching, it's always a difficult question to answer. And, and, and it has been with my own self. What, what brings you peace? What brings you joy and what brings you satisfaction? What is it? I I still get that. I still get some self gratification from other people, obviously, this stupid thing called the ego is really a bastard, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you know, I keep saying, you know, I'm slowing down. And then this athlete says, hey, I want you to come and work with me. Or this guy and your ego is, yes, yes, yes. Or I just got asked to go to Korea to teach. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And then after I said, okay, I thought to myself, what? 
what are you doing? No, you're not going. And so, you know, so I still get that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a human being. I'm a male. The ego is still drawn toward that self, that, that gratification, gratification praise that you get from helping somebody else. I just had a client in here. Oh, my, my groin pain is so much better. Thank you. I mean, that still feels good to hear that stuff. Right. Um, but the self gratification for me, uh, and, and is, is when I give myself the, the time and the peace to just be and to be the human being and not yeah. the And so I love now I played more golf in the past three months than I've played in three years. Wow. It's been awesome. I've loved it. I've been playing really good. I've been spending time with my friends. We've been taking little golf trips. I haven't allowed myself to do that in a long time. And that feels really good. Uh, I, I share my dog with somebody else. And when I get her, that feels amazing. I just get to take her for walks on the beach and, you know, and just spend time with her. Um, that, that stuff, hanging out with my friends, that, that, that intimate connection on, you know, a very human level, that feels really good. And my little piece of paradise sitting on the beach feels really good. Yeah, it is. Um, you have quite a few of those. It, it, it makes me um, happy to know that there are people like you yourself out there that can preach that because you are so secure and you've come to that place where you have many things that make you happy when you know you can sit in front of a client and they don't even <laughs> begin to say they don't know what makes them happy, which hurts my heart. And, and also to, to bring validation to what you say. And it's interesting how the universe works where as soon as you go, I don't need clients won't make me feel better about myself or validate my ego. I can do that all by myself. And then like the next day, <laughs> the universe will throw me a client that gives me all these accolades. And I'm like, Oh man, I feel tingly inside. That's so great. And I'm like, Oh darn it. It still feels really, really good. Um, well, what about you? Flip the table. What makes you feel good? Well, you know, I, I can say the same thing and I don't, not to copy, but what makes me feel the best is being alone with mm. myself um, and just kind of diving into um, self-reflective consciousness and understanding a little bit about who I am today versus who I was yesterday and always about how it can be better, not from the standpoint of intellectual, but how I can be better with my my own inner challenges with my self-love. Always, always, always. And then, you know, because I have two kids um, that consume my time, they're my biggest teachers. So that downtime, that alone time is so important for me to try to be better for them um, so that they can be the best that they can be and be the teacher that they need um, and then learn from them. And being with family more today than ever in my whole entire life has been such a priority. Like I, I never valued family as much as I do today. And every year I feel like it's 
stronger and stronger where I take time out, you know, versus like, no, I have to work or you know, I have to do emails. I don't have time to talk on the phone or come see you or go to lunch. Like I never would make time for that because I was always too busy, too busy, too busy. And now it's, you know, my parents are getting older and my, my siblings are, are having their own challenges. And so I'm, I'm, and I'm a, of great help to them at this point. And I, I love doing that. And like you said, I love being with my dog. Um, our dog, I should say, it's not my dog. Um, I, I, oh, so great. <laughs> I think that dogs, I can be in a really pissed off fucking <laughs> yeah. mood. And all I got to do is put her in my lap and it dissipates yes. to nothing but loving unconditionalness that absolutely that it's so, I, I've never, I don't, I haven't found anything that does it quite as quickly as an animal that just Abby's, is. is Abby's a little too big to put in my lap, but I still try. Oh, I, I bet you do. And, and, you know, that's, that's the, you know, whether you have animals or not, for me, that's what it repre- represents for me. And I think it's uh, working on my, working on my own sense of spirituality. Um. I think the reason I make that a priority is because I feel like it helps every facet of my life, like my clients, my family, my friends, being a mother, being all those things get better when I focus on being centered and growing in my own spiritualness. Um, I can't say enough about that. And, you know, if you would have told me 10 years ago to do that and that's what would happen, I would have sort of doubted it. Um, it's been a journey and a realization and that's why it's a huge teaching moment for me in every way. Like I was just, um, texting with a student who's I think 19 years old and I'm just, I was so proud because he's entering into this spiritual realm with starting to meditate and I'm talking to him about different ways to do that. And I'm just, I'm like so proud that such a young individual is starting on that journey, which I wish I would have back then, but no regrets. Like I'm who I am today because I didn't start then. Um, and I'm happy for that. Um, but it's, it is, it is so important and, and it's about harboring. And at the end of the day, it's about harboring love. Um, I, 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 I don't ever go this long on a podcast. You're my, you're my first one that's ever been this long. I'm usually short to the point, get it over and done. Um, so I don't want to take any more of your valuable time. Let me just, um, first of all, um, uh, just um, ask, what are your goals for um, the new year? Are you doing anything special for the holidays? I am not. I'm spending some time with some loved ones. Um, I'm looking forward to that. And then really right now my goals for the new year <laughs> is is me. I have some trips planned. Uh, I'm going to go to to California and play some golf with some friends in February. And I just – my goals for the for 2019 is just a better balance because I have been I have been really as we say yanging lately instead of no yinning and uh, I really I really need to I really want to I don't need to I really want to just find a little bit more balance and having this chat with you today I think is the is, is a nice catapult for that. 
because I have let my, my spirituality practice, my me time, I have let that slip a lot in the last two and a half, three years. I still, I still make a point to do when I can, but I haven't, uh, I haven't set to any type of, uh, schedule or you know, daily practice. It's kind of whenever I felt like I needed it. And I really would like to get back to just finding that little piece every day for myself. So that's really my goal for the, for the next year. I, I mean, just listening to you, I'm surprised to hear that because you seem very grounded and I feel like you're an inspiration for uh, what it means to be that. Uh, spiritual being and a grounded sender being. So um, I, I, I think good luck. I, I think that you're doing great. And that doesn't mean that you need that validation at all yeah, from there me. Goes that, there goes that achieving thing again, right? But I think, I think you're, you know, I, what I want to share is as I was listening to the conversation we're having and witnessing it and without interrupting, and this is a great closure. One of the things that I hear from you, Dan, with every word that you say and every phrase that you mention and every example is that you really have a large heart. You have a really open heart. I think that you're successful because that. I think you are a, you are a healer at the depth of who you are, um, which is another reason why you're so successful. Um, and... I just, I'm just grateful um, that I know you and I'm grateful that you were on the podcast so that people could hear what it sounds like, um, especially for a man to exude so much love, um, first and foremost. So, hey, thanks for being on. I appreciate it. My Always sister, do. My sister from another mother. Yeah, that's truly what we are. We are soul, soul brother and sister from the depths of our spirit. And I'm sure. I appreciate it, Ashley. It was Thank a lot you for of fun. listening to the Max Storm Business Coaching Podcast. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play so you don't miss a single episode. This podcast is brought to you by MaxStormCoaching.com. Head over to our website or social media pages and download free documents, forms, business tips, and tricks that will help take your client-based business to that next level.